Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcroft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Live Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Thursday evening where we continue to reflect into the richness of the gospel text this 14th Sunday in Ordinary Time. And as always, it is so great to have you with me this evening. And if you are tuning in by way of podcast, it is great to have you uh, wherever you may be listening to this program. It is always a great joy to have you joining me here for Seeds of Truth to hopefully go deeper in your faith. Um, You know, I was reflecting on my way over here this evening and just this radio program over the last just not two years, but even as it started under the umbrella of the Catholic Hour, Why Be Catholic, that, you know, we have covered so much. We have covered such a wide array of topics that it is my hope that uh, your questions are not only getting answered, but in them getting answered, you are able to go deeper in your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I know as I've received a number of your emails over the years, that indeed is taking place, and it takes place only by the grace of God. Huh? So this whole operation of just not Seeds of Truth Radio, but Seeds of Truth Ministries is in God's hands, and for this um, we pray. Right? We pray for the presence of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would be with us, just not in in what I might say, but really um, in what you might hear. So with that, what I would like to do is just jump right into this 14th Sunday in Ordinary Time that provides for us a very, very rich gospel. And if you have your Bibles out there, if you want to turn to uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. Now, this reading has us going from verses 1 to 12, and then verses 17 to 20. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to come. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals. And salute no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace shall rest upon him. But if not, it shall return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and save them. The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it shall be more tolerable on that day for Sodom than for that town. The seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. 
Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Amen. Okay, as already noted, there are so many themes uh, converging in this very rich passage that comes to us from the Gospel of Luke. We will touch upon a few of them. First, the kingdom of God. Now, we have talked about this before at some length, so we are not going to spend our whole time together on this, but this passage has as its center the kingdom of God, so let's engage it. We know that the phrase, the kingdom of God is at hand, is at the heart of our Lord's preaching and really is the premise of his teachings, huh? The kingdom of God is at hand, so be poor in spirit. The kingdom of God is at hand, so repent and believe. The kingdom of God is at hand, so baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is at hand, so be the person that God created you to be, right? Everything takes its meaning from the kingdom. You know, there has always been discussion about what precisely Jesus meant by the expression kingdom of God. For some, it would be a purely interior kingdom consisting in a life conformed to the law of God. For others, on the contrary, it would be a social and political kingdom to be realized by a man even by struggle and revolution if necessary. Essentially, what we are made to understand, my friends, is that the kingdom of God moves from God to man and man back to God. And our Lord's preaching, the coming of the kingdom of God, means that sending his Son into the world, God has decided, so to speak, to personally take in hand the fortunes of the world, to act in the world from the inside. As the great Franciscan preacher Father Cantal de Mesa would speak to it, you know, it is much easier to intuit sometimes what the kingdom of God means than to explain it because it is a reality that transcends every explanation, and sometimes we just ought to keep that in the rearview mirror. You know, in response to the idea that the kingdom of God has actually never come, that Jesus did not follow through on his promise, and in response to the idea that the kingdom of God is, is some future apocalypse, it's interesting to note, and, and I'll go to a Protestant theologian because he responds to his Protestant peers, that one C.H. Dodd taught, uh, world-renowned Protestant theologian C.H. Dodd, uh, taught that Jesus' teaching is not in ethics for those who are expecting a rapid end of the world, but for those who have experienced the end of this world and the coming into it of the kingdom of God. In other words, it is for those who know that the old things are past and that the world has become essentially a new creation since God has descended as king. Jesus did not announce the end of the world but the end of a world, and in that the facts have not told against him. Huh? So that is a, a very important take, one certainly that many Catholic theologians, the least of which Benedict XVI, would hold firm, and he'll go one step further here in a bit. John the Baptist also preached this change, did he not? Speaking of an imminent judgment of God. So in what then consists the newness of Christ. The newness, we could say, is entirely enclosed within the adverb of time, now, right? Now. 
with Jesus, the kingdom of God is no longer only something imminent. It is present. And this is what Benedict XVI grabs hold of. He says this in Jesus of Nazareth, The new and exclusive message of Jesus consists in the fact that he says God acts now. This is the hour in which God, in a way that goes beyond all previous modalities, reveals himself in history as its Lord, as the living God. We have touched upon this before in various contexts, how the liturgy is the already but not yet, the now but not yet. Remember the Greek for coming soon is parousia, a word that also means appearance, invitation. This has the very rich context of the Eucharist, where the Word has been made flesh, where the Word is made flesh on the altar, huh? And in that sacramental context, the kingdom of God is not only present among us, but present within us, right? Present within us. And from here flows that sense of urgency that is present in all of Jesus' parables, especially the parables of the kingdom. The decisive moment of history has arrived. Now is the moment to make the decision that saves. The feast is ready, my friends. To refuse to enter because you have just taken a wife or, or bought a pair of oxen or for some other reason is now to be excluded forever. What Jesus said to the people of his time is also valid for us today. That now and today will, for all intents and purposes, remain immutable until the end of the world. Is this not what Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13 says, huh? That means the person who today hears, perhaps by chance, Christ's word, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, convert and believe in the gospel, finds himself faced with the same choice as those who heard that message 2,000 years ago in a Galilean village. Either believe and enter the kingdom, or refuse to believe and remain outside. That's the bottom line. There's no in-between. You are either in or you are either out. Every single decision we make reflects whether or not we are on the inside or on the outside. Huh? Every single decision. Brothers and sisters, what you feed grows. Huh? What you feed grows. For this reason, let us cross that threshold, right? Let us cross that threshold. You know, the option of believing in so many ways seems to be the last concern of many who read the gospel and write books about it. Rather than submitting themselves to Christ's judgment, many judge him. They treat the Bible as this kind of history book, treating Jesus Christ as just another person in history. But as Benedict XVI so often reminded us, my dear friends, the Bible is the living Word of God, not some dead corpse. Today it would seem more than ever before that Jesus is on trial. It is this kind of universal judgment turned upside down, is it not? And for those 
out there who study scripture, be careful that you do not dominate the object of the science and remain neutral before it. How can we possibly dominate or remain neutral before an object when that object is the person of Jesus Christ? In this case, one must let himself instead be dominated by, right? And not be the dominator of his object. Remember what the word uh, Lord means in the Greek, kyrios, a word that literally translates as uh, to be dominated by, huh? You know, the kingdom of God was so important for Jesus that he taught us to pray every day for its coming. Every day for its coming. We turn to God saying, thy kingdom come, do we not? Is this not what he taught us? But God also turns to us and says, through Jesus, the kingdom of God is at hand. Do not wait. Enter. And in so doing, become a laborer in the harvest. Now, in one sense, yes, this would speak to uh, the sacramental ministerial priesthood. And we continue to pray for vocations, as today's gospel reminds us. Pray for labors. But in a manner of speaking, it is to also include the priesthood we enter into as baptized Christians. That priesthood of living in God so as to exist for other. And we exist for other so as to enrich the beauty of the body of Christ, do we not? And what could be said of this harvest time? You know, when the harvest is ripe, what do you have to do? You have to work with an urgency, right? You have to hurry. You cannot wait around. Time presses. The very word uh, urgency, uh, by the way, in the Latin literally means to press, huh? And, and why? Because if the harvest is not brought in promptly, then what will happen to it? It will spoil. It will rot. It will perish. And what happens to your way of life then? You know, we can feel the urgency and sense of emergency in our Lord's words. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. He can see how ripe the fields are and that there is a dramatic shortage of harvesters. And of course, what harvest are we talking about? The field in which the harvest is waiting to be brought in is pretty big. It is the whole earth, is it not? Jesus has in mind not merely the little patch of the world in which he lives, his home province of Galilee, or for that matter, uh, the Holy Land. Right from the start, he is concerned with the entire world. His message is, be, is to be taken to all peoples. It is meant for all men. And of course, this is something radically new, right? Because at that time, it was just for the Israelite people. But that was bound to the national covenant. Jesus Christ came to establish the Catholic covenant. Again, mindful that the word Catholic means universal, right? Because his message is universal. But that is why he is sending his messengers into all the countries of the world. You know, in the uh, Jewish conceptions of that period, there were 72 nations upon the earth. That is why Jesus chose, in addition to the 12, 72 others. And it's interesting, from the translation I read from, 
I think I, I think I read 70, did I not? But other translations render 72, and that's important because in the Jewish mindset, there were 72 nations. Huh? So 72 others he sends, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to come. You know, at first, it is only a matter of their preparing for the arrival of Jesus in all the places in Galilee. They are supposed to prepare the ground for him and help him in his tour, if you will, if we're going to speak to it in more contemporary terms through Galilee. But that is only the beginning. Later on, it will be a matter of going into all the countries of the earth to prepare the ground for Jesus. For up to this day, his intention, simply my friends, is to come to all men with his message of reconciliation, repentance, and the great missionary virtue of love. It's interesting, my friends. Even then, when he first sent out missionaries, Jesus gave them clear rules for the mission. Wherever they have kept them in the course of the centuries, if you pay close attention to it, a blessing has come to those countries. When they have not, then often there were serious abuses and distortions, and ultimately chaos has fallen among those countries. Today, the question of mission is once more clearly posed for us as a challenge in this gospel. Everywhere on our globe, religions and doctrines of salvation are proceeding upon their missions. Christian groups and churches, Islam, the Asiatic religions. But how is mission being undertaken by all these forces? By compulsion, oppression, and power? Or with a great respect for people's consciences and for each individual's freedom? This is what is unique to Christianity. Huh? We can never compare the Christian understanding of mission with any other understanding of mission. It is a failure to do so, especially those religions which would impose, huh? because Christianity proposes, Christianity invites. Jesus gave his missionaries clear instructions, not to be like ravening wolves, but the very opposite. I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Year after year, all over the world, missionaries are killed simply because they stand up for the poor and people with no rights or because they are bringing the gospel into people's midst. Did not Jesus himself live as a poor man and trust in God's providence? That is also what he wanted his missionaries to do 2,000 years ago, and that is what he wants his missionaries to do today, to trust in his providence. Remember what lies at the heart of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 to 7, but his Sermon on Trust. Do not be preoccupied. Do not worry. Do not be anxious about the things that you do not control, but trust in me. Trust in me. So for Jesus, it is urgent that many people should become enthusiastic about him and allow themselves to be sent out, for the harvest is enormous. The harvest is global, universal, right? There just can't be enough workers there to bring in the harvest. Why? Because enough is never enough. 
Is this not one of the overarching truths of our Christian and Catholic faith? Enough is never enough. When I go around and, and give talks, I, I often highlight this point when I'm talking about God's love. You know, I, I was recently asked, what is your favorite topic to talk about, Joe? God's love, but not in some sort of generic sense. No, love is so much more. Love calls for sacrifice. Love calls for the gift of self. Love calls what? For everything. C.S. Lewis, in his Four Loves, spoke beautifully to that more classical sense of love. Love within the context of um, the physical, human erotic love. Love in the context of friendship. Love in the context of romance. And certainly love in its highest form, divine sacrificial love. That love which was revealed to us on the cross. Agape love, right? This is what it's about. Enough is never enough. The question is posed. Could God have saved the world with a drop of his son's blood? Sure, he could do whatever he wants to do, right? But why did he not do that? Well, the answer is simple, my friends. If there are five and a half to six quarts of blood in the human body, then Jesus Christ had five and a half to six quarts of human blood to give. In other words, he gave everything. He held nothing back because his love is absolute. His love is unconditional. This is the love that we are called to enter into. This is the love we are called to abide in. So enough is never enough until it gives away everything. Right? When Jesus says, be perfect like my Father in heaven is perfect, it is abiding in this form of love that we discover the deeper truth behind that great exhortation. Brothers and sisters, our world is overripe for the good news of Jesus Christ, and we need to enter into that great truth. Now, something else here we read in the gospel that in their joyful return, despite rejection, Jesus rejoices at their success and the submission of the evil spirits in his name. The message is never to cease, never to give up. As the kingdom of God is gradually being established, evil in all its forms is being defeated. The dominion of Satan over humanity is at an end. Right? We know who wins. <laughs> we know the end of the story. It's just a matter of uh, bringing more people to Christ, is it not? You know, in the light of our reflection this evening, I am made to reflect upon the importance of the name of Jesus and how we are called to put the name of Jesus on our lips. The Catechism, paragraph 435, says the holy name of Jesus is at the heart of Christian prayer. Isn't that interesting? Now, many saints such as Joan of Arc, have died with the name of Jesus on their lips. The Jesus prayer, as some have called it, was also a favorite of Blessed Teresa of Calcutta. She frequently spoke of how praying the name of Jesus helped her through her most difficult times. So what is in the name of Jesus that has brought so much consolation and hope to saints and sinners throughout the ages? Well, what does the name Jesus literally mean? But God saves, right? God saves. Mindful of this, 
we ought to be present to the reality of who this prayer invokes, huh? The God who saves us not only from our sins, but from our situations of despair and desperations as well, who inspires at once hope and calmness. But the Jesus prayer is more than just an invocation that reminds us of what he does as Savior. It reminds us of who he is, right? Love, 1 John 4, 16, love. So the holy name of Jesus is a prayer that speaks to the dynamic of relationship. And most of us have experienced those initial stages of a romantic relationship when the mere mention of a name puts a smile on our face or an extra spring in our step, huh? Where the name has a kind of power. Over time, that same name may no longer rouse the same energy, but it nonetheless provides comfort as it evokes the relationship you have built with, in this case, your beloved, right? Similarly, in our courtship with Christ, we may experience those initial sentiments, even goosebumps, if you will. But after our relationship grows, the sparks may wane. While the name may not produce the effect that it once did, hopefully, We've come to realize that the name of Jesus is just not any other name, but the name that provides for our every ache and our every desire. You know, as we reflect into the kingdom of God and the importance of understanding the harvest, let us route this whole discussion back to the interior life, back to the spiritual life, a phrase, the spiritual life that is synonymous with aching, with longing, with desiring, huh? that we are mindful in the end, our baptismal vocation to exist for other will not be realized unless we first exist in God. huh? Is this not the great structure of our faith? Amen to that. Brothers and sisters, as we wrap up with a word of prayer, I just want to uh, send you forth with a challenge uh, this evening, this day, this week. Ask yourself the question, have I been present to my personal relationship with Jesus Christ and at the same time present to what God is asking from me and how God is calling me to be present to those in our immediate circle, to those who he has invited me to be in relationship with? Have I been bringing God into these relationships? Ask yourself that question this moment, that the rest of your day and the rest of your week may be a reflection of your own self-critique and that you might, in the end, give glory to God. Amen. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.